Sorry, we were muted. <laughs> like, so that's what you think about my study abroad trip. <laughs> well, we've been through one before. <laughs> we made it work. Is this going to be a long trip study abroad? No, just, just one week. It's just, just going to be a one week trip. Yep. Okay. And yeah. Uh,. everyone and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character and a great story i'm todd mack and i'm joseph Jarowski. and today we're discussing danny from the novel danny the champion of the world how are you doing todd i am well um i'm getting ready to take a group of students to barcelona we're gonna go for new year's eve actually for study abroad it's gonna be really fun and uh, today was the study abroad fair so i was selling selling the trip to the students um I think we're going to have a good group. I'm very excited. Well, that sounds like it should be a lot of fun. I don't have any trips abroad <laughs> planned for the immediate future. Uh, I'll let you know whenever I do, though. Uh, so today we are talking about Danny, the Champion of the World, which, fittingly, for, I guess, talking about going abroad, it's by Roald Dahl. So it's a British British novel. It uh, was published in 1975. And, Todd, I've read some Roald Dahl in my day, and I had never heard of this one. What about you? <laughs> I... I'm going to come clean here. I don't think I've ever read a single Roald Dahl novel. How <laughs> like, dare you? Get off this podcast. <laughs> I, well, if that was going to be the I mean, if you were going to kick me off for not having read things that I should have read, then we wouldn't have got very far. We wouldn't be almost 100 episodes into this. Um, no, I, I mean, I'm familiar with stories, and I've seen films of things like The Witches and... Uh, and Matilda. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I, I, don't, I actually don't think I've ever seen uh, Matilda all the way through. Uh, but I've seen parts of it. I've seen the part where the kid eats the cake. It's um, a really important part. <laughs> yeah. But you should see the whole thing. Uh, but Danny, the champion of the world, I had never heard of. And I was really surprised to find out that it was by Roald Dahl. Um, it's delightful. Yeah, because we usually associate Roald Dahl with more fantastical or supernatural elements. In, yes. Uh, and this one has none of that. It's it's just a straight-up story. Um, this was recommended by listener Tommy. He, in the past, has recommended some really good books for us. He recommended Watership Down, which uh, received a much larger response on social media and, and got us more downloads than anything we'd ever <laughs> done before. People love Watership <laughs> Down. Hopefully, uh, Danny the Champion of the World will do the same for us. I think we got a lot, a lot of new listeners through Watership Down. We did. Uh, uh, so thank you, Tommy, for supporting us on Patreon and also for suggesting some really good books for us. He also uh, he had suggested Tough Voyaging, which was a fun one we did much earlier this year. I love Tough Voyaging. That, yeah, was a really, that was a really cool book. Tommy has a good good taste. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he does. <laughs> Listeners, if you would like to suggest a topic for us to discuss, you could become a patron by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. And all our patrons at a level of $5 a month or more get to recommend topics for us to discuss and we we eventually get around to them <laughs> and all of our listeners and i mean all of our patrons on patreon also uh, have access to our quick casts which are really fun and i've loved this is not the first patron suggestion of something that i had never even heard before but i really loved uh till we have faces one of the recent novels that we discussed was another one that was absolutely not one I think we would ever get to discussing on our podcast no. if it had not been suggested, and it is one of my favorite books now. I agree. It was uh, it was awesome. All right. Uh, Todd, do you have a quick version of what Danny the Champion of the World is about? 
Danny the Champion of the World is a story of a young boy. His name is Danny, and he is the champion of the world. No, um, he lives with his father. Uh, they're mechanics. Um, they live in a gypsy uh, caravan, like a yeah. Yeah. Um, and they own a gas station, and they have a wild and crazy adventure uh, one summer. And this is the story of that adventure. Thank you, Todd. Uh, and listeners, if that sounds interesting to you, you could listen to it on audible.com. And right now, uh, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30 day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist, where you can find over 180,000 titles to download for your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, or your MP3 player. And I, I actually broke, uh, uh, my tradition and read this book <laughs> instead of listening to it. Uh, but it, the the narrator on Audible is Peter Serafinowitz. And would you tell us um, who that is? Uh, Peter Serafinowitz is a British actor. And right before we started recording, I said, uh, who, who reads it, Todd? And you looked it up and I was like, uh, it sounded vaguely familiar. But then our producer, Andrew, rattled off a whole bunch of facts about him that he just had at his beck and call. So producer Andrew, who is he, Peter Serafinovitz? He is in Guardians of the Galaxy as part of the Nova Corps. Uh, he is He's the British sounding part of the Nova Corps. Yeah, the, the British one who hates them uh, and later dies. Yeah, um, nobly. Not, nobly. Not, not because he hates them. He dies nobly. Uh, he's also the, I don't know if he's even credited. Uh, as the voice of Darth Maul yeah, for are, all two lines. I was going to say, you uh, might be wondering, did Darth Maul talk? Yes, he said a couple things. He said maybe two whole lines, yeah. maybe just one line. In uh, uh, Star Wars The Phantom Menace, Phantom if you Menace. unfamiliar with Darth Maul. Uh, and he he's around. Yeah, he's one of those character actors that pops up. Did yeah. you look it, that up, or did you just know that? Um, those are mostly things that I knew because no, of things look- like Star Wars Minute and... Like, they wow. brought him up. Yeah, he, uh, I was here in the room when he started rattling off all this information right before we started recording, and he did not touch his phone to look it's, anything up. It's thanks to podcasts. <laughs> I am thoroughly impressed. Podcasts Have you got some trivia for us, Joseph? I do. Uh, so this book, uh, Danny the Champion of the World, it is an expansion of a short story that was first published in The New Yorker in 1959, and that short story was collected into a collection in 1960 that was called Kiss Kiss. Uh, and then it was also made into a TV movie in 1989 that starred Jeremy Irons as Danny's father, what? Uh, William, and Jeremy Irons' son played Danny. His, wow. His, yeah. And uh, to add to your interest in this, Robbie Coltrane was the villainous Victor Hazel. In the, in the, uh, in that I love Jeremy Irons' voice. It is distinctive. I could if just, he, like, cr- if he it read, feels like... Feels like curling up in a blanket, like in front of a warm fire, with a with a hot cup of cocoa or something, listening to Jeremy Irons talk. And if he had read the Danny the Champion of the World audiobook on Audible.com, would you have listened to that instead? I would have listened to the heck out of that. (laughs) Um, There's in the book, and we'll get to this in the summary. But there's one kind of side tangent that seems kind of unrelated to everything where uh danny gets caned on the palm of his hand by a mean teacher at school like it's unrelated to a lot of what's happening everywhere else uh and that was inspired by a real event in doll's childhood and he seemed to be kind of purging a demon i guess in writing about it in this a caning is a major feature in boy by real doll which is like his his semi-autobiography right uh, I think that one is. It's like, it's kind of a feature of a whole chapter. Mm-hmm. 
I remember that being read to us in school, and we went into great detail. This one goes about about a cane being smacked across his hind parts. Oh, this one's on the palm of his hand, but it's a lot of detail about the caning in school, too. So I think he may have been sensitive about this topic. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh, Before we jump into the full spoilery synopsis, um, we would just remind you uh, to take advantage of all the great deals from Amazon uh, by going to protagonistpodcast.com slash deals, or you can make purchases uh, through protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. And especially as we're gearing up for the holiday season, this is a perfect time to spread a little holiday cheer and uh, just make all of your uh, holiday purchases at protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. We get a nice kickback from that. And it, it increases our holiday cheer. More. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't cost you anything more. It looks exactly like regular Amazon. You can go and buy um, – you could buy wrapping paper. You could buy Halloween costumes. You could buy a, a Thanksgiving turkey. Um, you could buy – Can you? I'm not. Can you? A yeah. Thanksgiving turkey on uh, on Amazon? Yeah. Doesn't Amazon do like the coordinate with your local grocer? I don't know. I've never I imagine food. that somebody somewhere in the world could buy a turkey on Amazon if they wanted to. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, you could buy lots of uh, great things on Amazon by going to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. And, uh, and we thank you for that. And now we'll turn the time over to Joe for a full synopsis of this beautiful novel. Okay. It is set in kind of what, uh, mid 20th century England. Is that right, sure. Todd? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a boy named Danny. He was being raised by his father, William. Danny's mother died when he was only four months old. Uh, but as he tells the reader, he has the best dad in the world. They live in a gypsy caravan behind a gas station. Danny's dad runs the shop and teaches Danny everything there's to know about cars. Eventually, after Danny can take a car engine apart and put it back together, Danny gets to go to regular school. <laughs> he has to learn how to do that first. And Danny's dad teaches him uh, how to make all sorts of cool gadgets and inventions. Um, and then one night, Danny wakes up. And so this is when he's probably, I don't think we get an exact age, do we, Todd? I want to say like nine. Uh, nine he ten. does give him an age. I is think it... it's the summer that he's nine years old. Okay. Oh, well, I was going to guess nine, so we're going to take that. Uh, and he wakes up and he realizes that his dad is gone. And when his dad returns home, Danny learns his secret. His dad is a poacher. Okay, or... this totally threw me for a loop. <laughs> I was not expecting this at all. But also, it's his dad was a poacher, but he took a break while raising Danny until he thought Danny could safely be in the gypsy caravan all night by himself. And then he takes up his poaching again when Daddy turns nine. He's like, okay, now you're old enough. I'm going to sne- start sneaking out. It's amazing. His dad is like all goodness and nobility and... Um, and then when we find out he's a poacher. Yeah. And, uh, well, we'll we'll talk some about some of the spin that his dad puts on poaching. Um, (laughs) uh, so now that Danny's older, his dad is willing to risk going out poaching again. And by risk, we mean like there are people that shoot the poachers (laughs) and they might, you know, his dad might not come back. Uh, but when Danny asks, is poaching stealing? His dad says, quote, we don't look at it that way. (laughs) Poaching is an art. A great poacher is a great artist. End quote. <laughs> and then he also explains that he poaches for Mr. Hazel, who spends lots of money to stock a clearing in his woods with baby pheasants in the spring so that lazy rich people can go shoot them in the fall. And there are keepers on guard with shotguns, so you have to be extra careful when poaching there. And his father also reveals that Danny's grandfather was a poacher. And that's where Danny's dad, William, learned the art. So Danny is part of a long line of poachers. 
And uh, we learn a little bit more about Mr. Hazel and to make this a little more palatable, because I'm with you, Todd. Like, it, it, it's like all of a sudden, like, wait. Uh, you, but they do the classic trick. Like, when someone's being bad, you make the person they're being bad to worse. So Mr. Yes. Hazel is nouveau rich, and he's an unpleasant snob, and he's very mean to all of the lower class that he now is trying to elevate himself above. Uh, but then one night, Danny's father does not come back from poaching. And Danny, who's a little older at this point, he gets into a car. Uh, he's a little older, but he's not old enough to be doing this. He drives a car up to the woods. <laughs> he's like, I can do this. I've taken the car engines apart. Uh, and he figures out how to drive. And he drives all the way up to the woods. And then he goes into the woods searching for his father. And he's calling out to him, and then he hears his dad's voice. And he finds his dad at the bottom of a pit that had been dug and disguised so that poachers would fall into this pit. It's a tiger trap. A tiger trap, yeah. And his dad's ankle is broken. And Danny goes, and he goes to the car, and he gets this rope out, and he's able to help pull his dad out, and he drives his dad home. And in the morning, Doc Spencer, the town doctor, comes, and he checks out his dad. And (laughs) in this conversation, you find out uh, a couple things. The doctor hates Hazel. Apparently, everyone hates Mr. Hazel. And uh, the doctor doesn't care about anyone poaching. And it's kind of implied that the doctor's probably poach some himself. A poacher Rossley. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everyone in the town is a poacher, it turns out. Yes. Uh, and so the doctor takes Danny's dad to the hospital and he keeps everything hush-hush so that no one finds out, you know, how Danny's dad hurt his, his ankle. Like, Danny's dad is really open about what happened to the doctor. And the doctor's like, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> Carry on. And Danny's dad comes back that day with a cast on his leg. And Mr. Hazel, he has this big pheasant hunting party coming up. And, um... Danny's dad is like, just, oh, I wish I could ruin this hunting party and just really stick it to Mr. Hazel. And then Danny comes up with this plan for poaching. They're going to put the sleeping drugs from his dad's pills into raisins because so pheasants wild. love raisins, you see. And then the pheasants will go and um, eat the raisins. And then at night, after the keepers have gone home, because uh, all the pheasants are in the trees sleeping, so poachers can't really get to them very well. Uh, the, the keepers are going to go home, and then uh, Danny and his dad are just going to go pick up all these dead pheasants that have been drugged. <laughs> sleeping. Well, they they plan on dead. <laughs> don't don't spoil things, Todd. <laughs> they, they seem pretty convinced they're dead <laughs> when they pick them all up. <laughs> uh, and they, with this plan, he says, Danny says, this is the greatest poaching idea ever. This is revolutionary, uh, revolutionizing the art of poaching and they can actually wipe out Hazel's entire supply of birds and embarrass him when all the rich people come to go hunting. And so they buy 200 raisins. They soak them overnight and they spend Friday cutting them open, inserting the sleeping drugs and sewing them shut with cotton thread. (laughs) 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 And then that night Danny gets to go on his first uh, poaching expedition. But first, uh, back at school, uh, Danny's, uh, so this is the, the, the caning incident I mentioned in trivia. Uh, Danny's friend asked Danny for an answer to a multiplication problem. So they're all working, uh, on their, on their, their chalkboards and Danny whispers the answers back and then their cruel teacher accuses them of cheating. And Danny defiantly yells back, I'm not a cheater, but he was <laughs> like, he just cheated. <laughs> I, but he really gets on his moral high horse about this. And the narrator is pretty clearly on Danny's side. And I'm, I'm a little confused about this moment. But uh, the kids all uh, have to go up and they get caned across the palms of their hands. So uh, they're not innocent, but the punishment is definitely excessive. I'm not on, you know, saying they should have been caned, but just the defense that Danny offer, offers holds no weight. And Danny's father sees his son's palm and wants to go fight the teacher, but then Danny talks him down, and Danny's uh, dad admits, you know, I got caned back in the day, too, and my dad never went to fight the teacher, so I probably shouldn't do that for you. 
So that night, Danny and his father walk uh, towards the woods. And in this walk, Danny finds out that his mom used to be a poacher. Again, everyone is a poacher in this story. His mom used to be a poacher and would go poaching with his dad and actually kept going until she got too pregnant to be able to run safely. <laughs> so right up until it was when Danny was born, uh, she was going out poaching. And Danny asks, like, did, did, did mom poach because she loved poaching or because she loved doing stuff with you? And Danny's dad says, both. Both. <laughs> and uh, Danny's... Okay, when they're, when they're walking around, they almost get spotted by a keeper. Um, but they, they duck down, and they hide, and they hold still, and then without moving any other part of his body, Danny's dad throws all 200 raisins into the field, and the keeper never notices anything. And uh, the pheasants all start going down and eating these raisins that have been drugged. Uh, and then they go, and they walk back down, and they sit kind of far away from the field, and they think they'll be fine. But a keeper walks up and asks them what they're doing and tells them to get out of there. And they hide a little farther away in the woods until well after nightfall. And then they sneak back to the clearing and the pheasants have all flown up into the trees and are asleep. And then Danny's dad worries. He says, pheasants always sleep in the trees. So how do they stay up there when they're asleep? <laughs> and Danny's like, I don't know. And he's like, well, they're unconscious when they're sleeping and they stay up there. So are they just going to stay up there even though they're drugged? <laughs> like are their little claws going to hold on to the tree branches? And as they're wondering, uh, wondering about this, they hear a thump. Real, real close by to them. Uh, but, and soon pheasant bodies just start raining down from the trees and they start That's walking so around. <laughs> it's just thump, thump, thump all over the page in the book. And they, they walk around and they find, uh, they, they tally up, they've got 119 pheasant bodies, uh, that they were able to gather. And then Danny's dad pulls out these two giant sacks that he tucked into his belt and they stuff all the birds, so 59 birds into one sack, 60 birds into the other, and they drag them out of the woods, um, and they go down to the road, and there, Danny's dad um, has arranged for a taxi driver, who, want to guess what else he is besides a taxi driver, Andrew? You haven't read the book? Uh, also a poacher. He is also a poacher. The taxi driver is also a poacher, <laughs> because everyone in town is a poacher. Uh, and the taxi driver meets them, and uh, they load up the taxi with the bags of birds, and they hide the bird bodies at the Clipstone's house. Now, Mr. Clipstone is the town vicar, but Mrs. Clipstone is... A poacher. Not a poacher, but a fence for all the poachers in the town. Because, <laughs> <laughs> as Dandy's dad says, you can't take the animals you've poached back to your own home in case the keepers are on to you. And they're waiting for you at the home. You never want to walk up with the dead animals, so you leave them at the vicar's house. <laughs> and the vicar's wife will come uh, bring them back to you the next day. Whenever, and she whenever, always keeps, she keeps a, you know, her share. Yeah, because the vicar loves pheasant. <laughs> yeah, so, so everyone's in on this operation, it seems. Um, and the next morning, Mrs. Clip, Clipstone is going to bring all 119 pheasants. And to arrange for this to happen... <laughs> this is so going to seem questionable. <laughs> to arrange for this to happen, Danny's dad made her a special extra-wide, extra-deep baby pram <laughs> for smuggling them in. So they put all the bodies of these pheasants into the baby pram, and then she covers it with a blanket, and the baby just sits on top of all the, the birds. And is, is this a real baby? It's, it's, yeah, she has, she it's has a like real a, baby boy. She has yeah. like, a, uh, like a 12 or 13 month old, I think. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, Danny and his dad are out there watching her walking up the field, and they're like chuckling to themselves about how this is the greatest poach in history. They... This could be legendary, this technique of poisoning raisins. This is all brilliant. Um, <laughs> but as she gets closer, Danny's like, is, 
is, is she walking faster? <laughs> like <laughs> she's, she's starting to run. And then she's like, nah, she's the, I built this pram. It's great. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, I think she, is she screaming? Is there screaming? Is the baby crying? And, and she's at a full sprint running to the gas station and, um, and Doc Spencer's there because he he wanted to see the results of this, and and so they're all watching as she is now like screaming and running up the road. And as she gets there, she she pulls her baby off, and all the pheasants start flying out of the baby pram, <laughs> which shocks Danny and his dad. So again, Todd, they gave the pheasants sleeping pills, but it seems pretty clear they thought the pheasants were dead when they gathered these. And because because they're very surprised to see them wake up and start flying out everywhere. I mean, this would not have been a difficult problem to solve, <laughs> just to make sure. Yeah, yeah, they could have wrung some necks as they were putting them in. Uh, and so all these birds are waking up, and they they're landing all over the gas station. They're just to hit the the caravan is covered. The baby, with the baby is going crazy because it's been traumatized because all, the, all these birds that it was sitting on top of were waking up and trying to fly out of the baby pram that it was just riding in, and so the doctor takes the baby inside to get away from the birds and, and make sure the baby's okay. And uh, Mr. Hazel drives up and he sees hundreds of pheasants, over a hundred pheasants all over this filling station. And he starts yelling that these pheasants have been poached from his land. And uh, Danny's dad points out, though, that by the law, the pheasants are his um, because pheasants, if they fly off of the owner's property, they're wild game. And wherever they are, that's fair game. Like if it was on Hazel's property, they're Hazel's pheasants. But now that they're on his gas station, they belong to him. Uh, and a policeman shows up and the policeman, I don't think he's oh. ever said that he's a poacher, but, but he's on the side of the poachers. But probably also <laughs> a poacher. Yes. Because uh, he kind of half-heartedly like, says, okay, Mr. Hazel, these are probably yours. Maybe we can choose some back towards your woods so you can have your little hunt. But as they do it, uh, every pheasant flies away from Hazel's woods, and it's just not going to work. Um, and then after Hazel leaves... Uh, and most of the pheasants do fly off, like as, as the drugs are wearing off, they are flying off, so they're leaving the station. So it's not like suddenly he has this so field. So wild of, pheasants. Yeah. So yeah, they're all wild pheasants. Um, and, but after Hazel leaves, Danny's dad tells the policeman how exactly they got the pheasants out of Hazel's woods, and the, the policeman <laughs> is very impressed with Danny. He says that is that is first rate poaching right there. This this kid has the best head on his shoulders of any child I've ever seen. Um, and a few of the birds, and it's okay because these were the greedy birds, they ate too many raisins, they overdosed on the drugs, and those ones died. So Danny and his father do have a few pheasants for a fine meal, and, and even enough that they can share with some of their neighbors. The end. <laughs> so that's the whole thing. That's the whole well thing. Well done. It's yep, that's this, the story. Yep. What, one just this one, one big adventure. Yeah, just just uh, the greatest poach in history. And you, meant, you didn't. You didn't uh, mention the part in the beginning when the dad tells the story about the big friendly, friendly giant. My kids loved that part. Oh yeah, because uh, they're like in a little meta <laughs> roll doll universe crossover. Uh, the, the dad does tell the story of the BFG, um, like a very short, shortened summary version. Like you're just giving a few highlights, but if you know roll dolls work, you know that he's telling the story of one of his other books that he's published. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's, this is a really fun story. Um, it is kind of a very, it, it is kind of a strange, it's kind of a strange story. Um, it seems to me that he's almost going for like a Robin Hood kind of thing, right? Like robbing yes. the rich to feed the poor, mm-hmm. but there's really no, they just do it for fun. Yes. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not, all about the art of it. Yeah. Um, so, and there is this kind of. I want to say it's this undercurrent of discomfort because 
This is the story of a child being initiated into a life of crime, basically. Right. Uh, and even though we get um, the father talking about the art of it all, and it's about you know the, the finding the best ways to poach that, and, and, I mean they they make mention that the hunt that the pheasants endure is cruel, and the poaching is actually nicer to the animals, a nicer way to kill them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also get the villainy of Mister Hazel, who's just you know, mean and cruel and kicks dogs and, and talks down to everyone. And, and so there's this kind of comeuppance in what happens to him. Uh, and Danny and his father, their plan isn't obviously, you know, to keep 119 pheasants. They talk about how they're going to share these pheasants with the entire town who usually don't get to have, you know, the best birds. So there is that element of the Robin Hood, but there's still, for me, remains this kind of like, "Mm, I don't know how I feel about all this because of that. But as I was been thinking about this, it did maybe make me think some about the fact that we do enjoy Robin Hood stories and we do enjoy heist films. So, yes. Uh, so why is it that this one has a, a little bit of undercurrent of like, I don't know if I'm okay with all of this when we enjoy some of these other versions of basically the same story. Like this is a lot of it is about the art of the heist and making the perfect crime, which movies like Ocean's Eleven or The Italian Job. Um, or, I mean, there are dozens of examples to the same thing, and I don't have the same discomfort with those. Um, I have, uh, two thoughts, and I don't know if either of these completely explains it. One is, um, I think in part the discomfort comes, uh, because we're dealing with child here. Yes. And when we see children in, in literature, um, or in fiction, uh, kind of initiated into a life of crime, it's often because of necessity. Um, and, you know, like Aladdin steals, what's the line in the song? Gotta, gotta eat to live, gotta live. steal to eat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or what's uh, in Dickens, um, what's his name? Oliver the, Twist, right? Yeah. And Oliver Twist, uh, you know, meets up with Fagin and, and be- begins to steal because he has to, because, you know, he's, he's a street urchin, he's living on the street and, um, and that's just how life is. In this case, Danny has spent so much time establishing the fact that he lives a beautiful existence with his father. He has this, this amazing dad who teaches him all these great things and he tells him wonderful stories at night and they live in this caravan and they are happy. They need nothing. And so when we find out that his dad is a poacher, it there's this feeling of like, why you know like why does he do this and and yes he's kind and he shares what he's poached uh and yes mr hazel is a mean guy but it's like you have no need to do this it kind of reminded me of um when we talked about the outsiders and uh pony boy's older brother who is dairy Mm -hmm. dairy or dally dally's the one that gets shot Okay, so Derry is the older brother, and he's this one that's, like, really responsible, and he's taking care of Pony Boy, and he works really hard, and he gave up school to do all this stuff. And then when they have the big rumble at the end, and they're all going to fight, he's just, like, he's in it. Why? Because of the competition. And he's willing to throw away everything. He's willing to throw away uh, custody over Pony Boy and Soda Pop, uh, all for the game. And I think about this dad and how cool he is and how awesome their life is together. And he's totally willing to put that all on the line to go out and kill some pheasants just for fun. And that's kind of disturbing to me. 
And it's not just that he's the greatest poacher ever, because Danny has to go rescue him from a tiger pit. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, he he fell in a trap and broke his ankle. And if Danny hadn't already known that, his dad, like, if that had happened on the first night, when Danny's dad disappeared. Yeah, Danny wakes up in the morning, his dad's gone, and maybe he never even finds out what happened. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's something, like, really reckless that doesn't seem to, like, jibe with the other things that we know about this dad. Um, so that's, I mean, that that's maybe one explanation of why this feels really uncomfortable to us, is there doesn't really seem to be a need, and it feels so reckless to do this. Yeah, and I I was thinking about it, and, like, if we were inter- introduced to an adult Danny who, like, for whatever reason, is in a story where it's a little more Robin Hood-esque, or, you know, mm-hmm. even he's, like, a great art thief, or whatever it is, and, like, this is part of his backstory as to how he got involved in the life of crime, but he's the charming kind of robber, and, and you find out this is part of his backstory, like, to me, that makes more sense. But here, in that initiation phase, I can't get over the fact that it feels a little off as far as, like, a feel-good story. I totally agree. And there's so much to love about this novel. Like it's beautifully written and their relationship is sweet and it's funny. And and there's, there really is so much to love about that. But I, I 100% agree. There's this, this undercurrent of kind of discomfort, discomfort as I'm reading this. Um, and I don't, I mean, I don't really know what to make of it except that it's, you know, part of the experience. Um, so listener Tommy, who suggested this, I asked him, uh, you know, is anything you want us to talk about? And he said, well, this book is an old favorite because as a kid, I love the cleverness and the commonplace backyard adventure feel of it. And I think that is 100% part of the charm of this. Like, as we say, even if we're feeling a little uncomfortable, there is this kind of, uh, like real world adventure, whereas you roll doll is usually much more fantastical adventure. Right. Of, you know, figuring out how to do this with raisins <laughs> you know like it it's it really does have some of the structure of the great heist film of like here's here's what we're gonna try and do here's all the tools we need to do it uh-huh. uh we're we're gonna you know do all our prep we're gonna do the practice run through you know all these other things but the tools they need to do it are his dad's sleeping pills from breaking his ankle and uh, 200 raisins and some yes. thread <laughs> yeah and uh, i i really do love that and i think um i don't know maybe as nerds, we get so caught up in the in the world of fantasy and science fiction, and then to read something something like this that's just so uh, straightforward <laughs> and uh, like you said, real world, it kind of feels like a breath of fresh air. Like, oh, <laughs> people can have amazing adventures without you know being in Middle Earth or on a spaceship or in the Wild West or you know in some other place like. There are opportunities for adventure now uh, and here in in this real world. And I think that that's a part of what gives this book its charm. Yeah. And I think one other thing that definitely makes you feel a little better about the book (laughs) um, is that even as we say, like Danny and his father are living this kind of magical life, there is this, um, I, I think they're tied together. Like there's these class issues and these bullying issues that they're both are kind of dealing with. Um, Mm -hmm. And they are underdogs. Like, yes, he's, he loves his life with his father, but it's not the most comfortable life. Sure. <laughs> like when, when they get the pheasants, they're talking about how are we going to cook these? And then his dad has to say, well, maybe I can buy us an oven. <laughs> right. <laughs> because we've never had an oven. <laughs> uh, so, and so there's some class issues there. And, um, I think 
with them as underdogs, there is this element of claiming your place in the world or, or like sticking claim in the world mm-hmm. in both their adventure and, and their willingness to kind of say, we don't have it all, but we're, we're happy. Um, sure. and, and we see them being put down by Mr. Hazel. We see Danny bullied by the mean teacher at school. Uh-huh. Um, but it's, to me, that doesn't absolve all of, you know, the other issue that we've talked about. Right. Yeah, there's, the, I mean, the, there's no getting around that that kind of awkward feeling about the story, and you just kind of have to put it aside. Um, I I'm fascinated by the fact that pretty much every single person in this town is a poacher. <laughs> well, um, I think it's one of the things that helps to make it okay, right? You know, I, I think there's a narrative trick that's happening there, right? So it's not that um, that Danny's father's behavior is deviant. In fact, it's this is what everybody does. The police officer is a poacher. Um, and so I, I agree that I think it, it helps us feel a little better about our, about him. Um, but I wonder if there's something else, something else going on there, like some kind of a commentary on human nature. And, um, it's, I don't know. I just think it's fascinating that they all have this kind of side thing that they do. They all appreciate it, um, about each other. Uh, yeah, uh, the art of it. Like, they all appreciate when the other one gets a good poach. They, yeah. they want They share those stories. It's not a competitive thing. Um, it's just like, that was really well done. Yeah, it's it's like art. And and I think um, one of my teachers at BYU used to talk about uh, that the a heist film is really a film about uh, about art and, like, the creation of art. And it's about creativity. It's about finding a creative and elegant solution to a problem. And, and in some ways that's for this professor, that was kind of the definition of art. And I think about, um, kind of the beauty in, in finding, uh, elegant creative solutions to things and the way that all of the people in the town are able to kind of rally around each other and cheer each other on. Um, is there's something really sweet in that. Mm-hmm. I like and I it. think that also gets into kind of the, the underdog class issues, right? Sure. And and the villain is the nouveau rich guy who has completely turned his nose up at, you know, the townspeople that probably were his economic peers before very long ago. Right. Yeah. Hey, hey, Todd, producer yeah. Andrew has a question here. Uh, have you read, you've read understanding comics? Um, I've read three fourths of it. Because there's a section where Scott McCloud talks about his definition of art, and I think it's basically anything that's not immediately relevant to survival or reproduction. Yeah, if it's okay, not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, like eating, like consuming food, is is, is not art. Is not art. But anything you can do around food that is not sure. necessarily, you know, the exact consumption of it can be art. Mm-hmm. So in this case, you know, this would fall into his classification of it because it's not like they need it to survive. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, – <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good point. It – I don't know. It, it challenges in a little bit in, – in some ways what we were talking about before about how it makes us uncomfortable, the fact that this is not necessary. And um, it's not it's not hindering anyone else's survival either. Like they're not damaging, um, what's the landowners? Hazel. I mean, they're not going to take away. They're going to take away his fun, but not his survival. Yeah, sure. Like it, yeah. It's not going to make him starve so that they can have their fun. 
and really they're just having fun so that he can't have fun. Yeah, and and, and they're having art so that he and his friends don't have their hunting and, art. And there right. is a bit of a chess match because there's the watchmen that are all around the field uh-huh. of pheasants. They're, they built a tiger pit that did catch Danny's dad at one point. So there is this, um, you know, the the rich guy knows everyone is poaching his land. <laughs> the poachers know that he knows that <laughs> they do it. They know that he has guards keeping, you know, so there's this kind of back and forth element to it as well. Yeah. I here, wonder, here. like, how it, how it contrasts with something like the, the stealing that happens in Watership Down. Where when the rabbits, uh, what's the guy's name? Hell Rafra 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 the the trickster god. El 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 that guy. Um, and how you know, like being a trickster character, um, and the, that's kind of his job. Like they go and they steal, they steal yeah, vegetables, that, and we take so much joy and pleasure out of that. But there's something uncomfortable about about this, and you know, we talked about it before, but. I just I think it's interesting how um, how this can rub us the wrong way, but those other stories we just kind of yes. enjoy. Yeah, right. and that we see the art, like we see the artistry, and we're able to recognize, like, oh, it's just fun and games, and it's and it's artistic and it's creative and it's fun. But there's something about this one that feels off somehow. I wonder if some of it is the stakes because we know. Poachers can be shot and killed. <laughs> like that is laid out pretty right, right up front. And this is a father taking his nine year old onto a poach. Yeah, or, I think uh, maybe that, that has a lot to do with it. I think you know what I said earlier about um, about Dairy and the Outsiders and just being so reckless. Uh, there's something that really um, that really bothers me about and it, about it's this not father. just the father being reckless with his own life, which obviously would have ramifications for Danny, but that he takes Danny into that world. Yeah. And with um, the trickster tales, like that's the nature of these characters. Uh, like we, that's who we meet up front. This is again uh, Danny becoming that kind of character. Whereas before, like he knew poaching was wrong. Like the, the first question he asks when he finds out his dad is a poacher is, "Poaching is stealing. Stealing is wrong, right, Dad?" Like <laughs> right. so, he has that moral compass. Uh, whereas a lot of the trickster tales, these are about supernatural creatures who lack that moral compass. Sure, um, and so we don't expect it of them. Uh, but the, this but, isn't part of their. It's not like they lack a moral compass, but this is not part of their moral compass, right? Like their their moral compass don't doesn't point towards don't steal carrots from the farmers. Yeah. Um. And but I I think Roald Dahl, uh, he's trying to create a world where poaching isn't the moral wrong that maybe Danny sees it as when he, when he's the young child, but at the same time, he does give us that, that point of view from Danny. Uh, and I think maybe that's one of the issues that we're having. Yeah. So what does this book, um, celebrate if it's not, I mean, it, uh, it, clearly <laughs> the moral compass here is not pointing towards, you know, thou shalt not steal. <laughs> um, but what is it pointing towards then? If it's not pointing towards don't steal, so what is it celebrating? Like, what is the, what's the good life? What is, what is it that brings uh, happiness and contentment to these people? If there's it's quote, not not stealing, there's a quote from Roald Dahl, uh, and I think it, I'm trying to remember. Was it specifically in this, or was it like in the forward or something around this book? But a message to the children who have read this book: When you grow up and have children of your own, do please remember something important. A stodgy parent is no fun at all. What a child wants and deserves is a parent who is sparky. <laughs> uh huh. 
So I think that's uh, one part of it. Like, stodgy adults are very much condemned in this. You don't want to be sure. a, a no-fun grown-up. You don't want to be someone that is striking a child's hand. Yeah, because you know they what? cheated at school. And uh, in that chapter where we get this side story about his day at school, he talks about how every other teacher there is great. <laughs> and, 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 like, each each teacher is given all personality. <laughs> but they're they're a given personality, and it's different things that make them great. But oh they, yes, right I remember now, this now. Yeah, he's in the one. He's with the one mean teacher in the mm-hmm. whole school. Um, but that's a stodgy grown up who is too much of a disciplinarian, who was a military man, but wants to you know rule the children like a military man, uh, kind of situation. Uh, and I think that's one thing that with all these other townspeople too. We are going to talk about this next week with Stranger Things. <laughs> um, that in Stranger Things, they do a really good job, uh, which is a TV show we'll be talking about next week. They do a really good job of making every character unique, even if they don't have a ton of screen time. Roald Dahl does that with the townspeople. Like, the policeman is given this really unique speech pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, the doctor is given this kind of interesting backstory and, and is kind of a, a storyteller himself. So all the characters do kind of pop off the page. Those who have this kind of charisma that Roald Dahl seems to want uh, yeah. to imbue the adults with the, the so good adults. Here's an example of this. This is uh this is when he's describing the school teachers and this is one paragraph. This is all we get about Mr. Corrado. It says the seven and eight year olds were taught by Mr. Corrado and he was also a decent person. He was a very old teacher, probably 60 or more, but that didn't seem to stop him being in love with Miss Birdseye. We knew he was in love with her because he always gave her the best beats, best bits of meat at lunch when it was his turn to do the serving. And when she smiled at him, he would smile back at her in the soppiest way you can imagine, showing all his front teeth, top and bottom, and most of the others as well. And that's all we get about him, but it's just such a like a great little description that gives him uh you know, personality. Um so so what makes a parent sparky? <laughs> like I I look on Facebook I've, I've mentioned this in other podcasts, but I look at Facebook and I see what other parents do with their children. Like well, you me. see a highly mediated version like of you, what for example, other parents do with their and children. And I'm like, this is me, and I'm playing superheroes with my kids because all of my kids have wild imaginations and we have crazy <laughs> adventures together. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm a very spark, I'm a very sparky parent, and like. I'm very dedicated to my children, and I really love them, and I want to be the best father possible. But when I read something like that at the end of this book that says, you know, nobody wants a stodgy parent. Everybody wants a parent who's sparky. I'm like, I don't know if I'm the sparkiest parent in the world. And and it kind of makes me feel bad. <laughs> so, should I? <laughs> okay, so maybe instead of what makes a parent sparky, because I think there is uh, infinite variations that can make the individual sparky or the parents sparky. Like I'm saying, like with these townspeople, each one is of the good ones, right? The ones that Danny likes, yeah. they're given their own unique reason that they're kind of cool uh, mm-hmm. or, or unique. But I think, uh, so, so you can be sparky in a thousand different ways, but you're stodgy in one way. <laughs> <laughs> so what is stodgy? Like, what does it mean to be stodgy? So I, oh, producer Andrew has an answer here. I have a, well, it's sort of a question to help prompt it. Cause you talked about a teacher that he disliked, which had a militaristic background. That's yes. what he described. Mm-hmm. And Roald Dahl was in the military and to my understanding did not enjoy his time in the military and kind of luxuriated in a convalescence situation <laughs> when he could. <laughs> I didn't know this about him. But. Um, 
Like, I, like, I think he had some sort of injury and, and kind of milked it. <laughs> to, I, I don't, like, don't quote me on that. Like, do put your own research into that. But, like, I'm fairly confident the military life wasn't the life for him. So let me read this to you. Uh, a teacher called Captain Lancaster took the nine and ten year olds, and this year that included me. Captain Lancaster, known sometimes as Lankers, was a horrid man. He had fiery carrot colored hair and a little clipped carroty mustache and a fiery temper. Carroty colored hairs also sprouted out of his nostrils and his ear holes. He had been a captain in the army during the war against Hitler, and that was why he still called himself Captain Lancaster instead of just plain Mister. My father said it was an idiotic thing to do. There were millions of people still alive, he said. Who had fought in that war, but most of them wanted to forget the whole beastly thing, especially those crummy military titles. Captain Lancaster was a violent man, and we were all terrified of him. He used to sit at his desk, stroking his carroty mustache, and watching us with pale, watery blue eyes, searching for trouble. And as he sat there, he would make queer, snuffling grunts through his nose. Oh my goodness, it's like Donald Trump. He would make <laughs> queer, snuffling grunts through his nose like some dog sniffing around a rabbit hole. <laughs> What a great, what a great thing. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Didn't like, like the war. Like what I described doesn't seem like it's out of line with no, no. His, not at all. His, his apparent no. It's exactly in line. Yeah. And so I wonder if not only is he commenting on parenting, but also leadership in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how he felt about that. But I have a, a separate question, uh, which remind me to, cause I think you both might have something to say on this one. Um, but remind me to ask my other question when you're done. If oh, okay. you do have anything to All right. discuss. So what makes a person stodgy? Uh, a lack of fun, right? That's one thing I think we can definitely <laughs> chalk up there. Uh, a lack of uniqueness. I think Roald Dahl is very much against cookie cutter uh, expectations for mm-hmm. how people should act and behave. Um, particularly, I would say, for a parent towards children. Uh, based on everything I've read in terms of his children's stories... He seems to favor the more free-spirited, creative type. Sure. <laughs> um, what else would you see uh, as Roald Dahl's version of someone who's stodgy, Todd? Um, Overly yeah. controlling of other people's lives, I think. Yeah, I think that there's something... Like I, I'm trying to think of, you know, like, what is he, what is he celebrating here in The Father? Um, which is easier for me to, I think it's, it's easier for me to pull specific things out of the example of the father, which, which Danny just says flat out, I have the best father in the world. And so I think, what are the characteristics of this father? And I think, excuse me, I think fun has, uh, has something to do with it, but, um, like his father is he cares about Danny. He cares about Danny. He loves him. Um, and he teaches he, him. He's a good teacher. He's a good teacher. He's gentle. Um, and those are all kinds of things. I mean, maybe I just do this to make myself feel better, but, um, I mean, there, there was a time, uh, time was, there was a, there was a time when, um, you know, my wife would, and I would sit down and talk about this and she would say, why don't you, do the kinds of things with our children that other cool dads do with their children. <laughs> I mean, we would have these conversations. Whoa, Whoa Todd. Wow. <laughs> you're, you're, you're opening up a lot here. Well, I mean, I think it, this is, this is what we do, right? We talk about these things, but, uh, 
you know, like, why don't you play hunting? Why don't you play pirates? Why don't you do these, like, wild imaginative games that I see other fathers doing with their children? And I, I just told her, like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that <laughs> stuff. Um, but I love my children, and I treat them, you know, like, with love, and I try to do fun things with them. Um, and I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think that I'm a stodgy parent that I'm a stodgy parent. I love my children. I treat them with, uh, with kindness and gentleness. Um, but, but I don't know. Like if Roald Dahl saw me, would he think that I was stodgy? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever taken them out poaching Todd? Have you? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like we occasionally, you know, we, we sh- sh- go steal the neighbor's chickens and things, but <laughs> yeah, we, we sell a few raisins in our day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I just I think it's really interesting, and I wonder. You know, there are times when I'm like, no, I think Roald Dahl, if he saw me as a as a father, he would think you're a great dad. And then there are other times where I'm like, no, I think he probably would think I'm kind of stodgy because <laughs> because I don't do these like amazing adv- adventurous things. Um, but but as I look at Danny's father, I think he's so much more than just like let's go poaching together. And I also I just don't think that that's his best quality, really. <laughs> I'm with you as, on that one. As a father, I mean, I th- he has so, so many other things that's, that tell me that he's a great dad. So when I read that thing at the end and it says, nobody wants a stodgy parent, everybody wants somebody that's sparky, I'm like, I don't even know how much I buy that exactly. I think everybody wants a father who loves them. So here's here's my other question. Unless, Joseph, did you have something? Well, I was going to say, I think one thing that you could put into stodgy, uh, both in terms of Mr. Hazel and uh, the teacher and the kind of discipline that we see meted out from that teacher and uh, from other Roald Dahl works, uh, stodgy is someone who doesn't show that love for others, who is only concerned for their own, whatever they, they view as the best situation. And so, like, um, again, reference some other works, like Matilda's parents, those would be stodgy parents. <laughs> yeah. They're, um, but they're trying to be controlling, not for a Matilda's benefit or try and shape her into the best person possible, but just to keep their own sense of peace and what is good for them. And I think that is maybe at the core of what Roald Dahl would call a stodgy parent. Wait, is, when I see what, what, yeah, go No, sorry. Uh, is, uh, again, someone who is more concerned for themselves than their children, uh, more concerned about the life they want to lead than their children's lives. And, uh, that enforcement of that is, you know, can be crippling to the children. Now, when I think about stodgy, I think of the word cold, mm-hmm. like nobody wants a cold parent. They want a warm parent. And sparky and, is warm. Is a warm and when parent. I think, yeah, when I think about, about Danny's father, I think that he's very warm. Like he treats Danny with so much warmth and that life feels warm. It feels soft and warm. And, um, and I, yeah, maybe the, maybe the word sparky isn't like an accident, right? But that, you know, sparks create fire, which creates warmth. Um, anyway, Andrew, you had a thought. Yeah. So my other question is what art could the townspeople have other than poaching? (laughs) Like, like what is their alternative? Like what, what could they be choosing to do better than poaching? Barn raising? <laughs> I don't know. I don't... <laughs> In some ways, it's, this is... It's, uh, it's a common hobby with them. And like we've talked about, there's a system in place for it. The vicar's yeah. wife, you know, fences Everyone it. knows. And, and everyone <laughs> understands this. And 
Also, nobody really needs it as their as their you know food source. I can think of it's just a thing. I, I think there could be so a, a thousand. Why, why things. are they doing it? But why are they doing poaching and not something else? And what would you suggest that they do rather than commit this crime and put themselves <laughs> in danger of tiger traps? Okay, so I, absolutely one part of why they do it, it is tradition and probably tradition from when it was more necessary. So like. Danny Zett goes through the line of, and like, I think it is in it with Doc Spencer, the, the doctor, they talk about some of the best poaching techniques that have been developed through the years. Mm. And like, these, I think he just tells, I think he just tells Danny. Or does he just tell Danny? But yeah, but, they all like, have funny names. Yeah, they have tradition. Yeah, these are names. These are known methods that have been, and the person who first invented them, they're, you know, is famous as, you know, in, the, in poaching lore. Um, so there's this. As Danny will be. Yeah, so there's yeah. this cultural lore. That exists around it. So I think tradition is 100% part of why, you know, the town still engages in this. So it's time for uh, a theory. So Carl Jung, uh, he talks about um, that our psyche is divided into two halves. We have our conscious half and our unconscious or subconscious half. Um, and this is very also Freudian and like Jung didn't invent this idea. Uh, but he calls um, he calls your unconscious side your shadow your shadow side or your shadow self, and and for Jung the the way to become what he calls individuated so the way to become a balanced uh, like complete human being is to be able to balance your conscious logical organized responsible side with this um, more f- free. Uh, illogical, kind of irrational, but also talented and creative shadow side, and that people that are really happy uh, and that are that are f- fulfilled and are able to reach out and make connections with the people around them are people who have both of those sides balanced. So Jung says, you know, it doesn't really matter what it is that you do, but you have to develop that shadow side, and the way that you do it is by doing things like art and uh, crafts and hobbies and things that um like we said, that don't have a specific Survival utility, <laughs> right? That they're not, u- that there's no utility in it. It's just a way for you to develop that, that powerful creative side. And that's exactly what poaching is uh, for all of these people. I think it's interesting that they all have the same one. So Andrew, you said, you know, what could they do besides poaching? They could do a million things. They could draw, they could paint, they could knit. Uh, they could, they could, uh, they could jog, um, you know, like do yoga, they could garden, they could, (laughs) there are are a thousand things that they could do to develop that shadow side of themselves. I think it's really interesting that they all do the same thing. And I wonder if it's just sort of a stand in, right? Like the point isn't that they all do poaching. It's just that they all have something that makes them, uh, you know, that allows them to be balanced in a way that's healthy. And and I think that the sense that we get from this this novel is that this is a really healthy community. And they're yeah. they're balanced as individuals and they also are like interconnected. They're knitted together as a community. And as I say, it's not a very large community, so it's not odd that they would be engaging in the same activities, you know, sure. <laughs> like, yeah. within your social circle. Like, guess what? We all podcast guys. Like, we're, <laughs> you know, that's, that's one of we our all watch sports. We yeah. all, you know, like we all watch to watch, but, we but all we like have, to watch a football game on Saturday. Yeah. We, I mean, within a social circle, you often are gravitate towards people who engage in similar outlets for sure. 
you know, that side and in this small community, one of those outlets traditionally has been poaching and all the adults probably around Danny's age got, uh, well, didn't uh, Danny's dad say it was when he was about Danny's age that he went on his first poach too? I, I think, think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that's, it's, it's a rite of passage element too for adolescents, sure. uh, to be brought in brought into this um and and when there is that kind of communal rite of passage everyone goes through that you know and so it it it's a way of uh ensuring the continuation of this tradition and so it's not odd for Danny to be brought up, brought into it yeah I, like I i really like the answer that poaching is their podcasting <laughs> yes <laughs> you know there's a group and they get together and they talk about it and they all want to see it and and i and because it, we have that I think it's something that uh, Todd said that's also key. It's not competition. Like, it's not who poached the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not, oh, that's my area for poaching versus it's your so area for It's so celebratory. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it, oh, everyone's you did so this. happy. That is amazing that you did this. Uh, you know, for every time. Yeah. Which, like, I was just on the fandom podcast. Mm-hmm. And, we... and it's not competitive. We're all just like, hey, you guys are kind of local. We're kind of local. And we're podcasting. We're, and some of our stuff overlaps but it's not competitive and it's not harsh it's really a celebration with each other it's like hey like we love doing this thing you love doing this thing too it's great like let's talk about how you're doing it great and how we're doing it great and if somebody had you know a danny the champion of the world kind of podcast moment where they figured out the best podcast (laughs) thing to do ever yeah, we'd you all know, be happy for it. We'd all be happy, and we'd be talking about it, and we'd all want to see it. And and the, like in this story, Danny's poach does in fact like hurt everyone else's ability to poach pheasants. <laughs> oh yeah, he's, <laughs> because the, like, he's wiped out. out. He's cleaned out. Which admittedly, it was all about to be cleaned out by this big hunt that's being scheduled. But no, like the taxi driver, the doctor, the policeman, no one is upset that. Right. This has happened. It, it's and they all praise Danny's smarts and his intelligence. Like not only is this. Um, you know, right of passage, it seems, for adolescents to be going through this. Like, this is signaling to a lot of the adults, like, Danny's got it. <laughs> he's got a gift. He's gonna, he's going places because he's really good at poaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the book is called Danny the Champion of the World, uh, but he's the champion poacher of the world, but that is what gets celebrated in this community. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's, uh, it's a really interesting book. Um, and it, it's totally delightful to read. Uh, Roald Dahl has this has the same that same kind of matter of fact, um, straightforward narrative voice that I that I love from other great British <laughs> children's writers like um, J.K. Rowling or C.S. Lewis. It's just something uh, so it's it's like eating comfort food to read something like this. Such a beautiful uh, narrative voice. I was just going to say that um, I hadn't thought of it this way until our meandering conversation got us there. But thinking about this as a rite of passage into this community, mm-hmm. it removes some of that discomfort we were talking about earlier. <laughs> mm, I don't think it does for me. <laughs> just I, still because, just, I still just can't get over the fact of, like, what if the dad doesn't come back from that? Like, dies in the tiger trap. Yeah. Dies in the tiger trap. Yeah. And, like... That's a stupid boneheaded thing to do, you know. Like, I just, I just can't get over. I just can't get over how how reckless this seems to be. <laughs> like, you could do right. a million other things. Uh, I guess, yeah, stealing I, from somebody and putting your life on the line for fun when you are the sole provider for a father that doesn't uh, for a child. 
it doesn't seem like the best father in the world to me. I guess it doesn't remove as much of the discomfort around the recklessness, but about, about the kind of the, the, like his being indoctrinated to a life of crime, basically. But yeah. like, this is the communal moral standard that we've been given. Like in this world, it's not that bad. Yeah. I know. <laughs> you know I know so, so that I'm that's reading removing this. some of that. Absolutely. I know that I'm doing the thing that I hate when my students do, which is I'm reading this too literally. Uh Um, We we just uh, are reading The Prince, and I have a a bunch of students who are like, this is the dumbest book. I'm not a prince. (laughs) What does this have to do with me? And I'm like, oh, come on, man. This is about leadership. And this is a fascinating study of of leadership and politics in general. Um, and I know that I'm doing that with this book. And so I apologize to readers who love this book and they're like, just get over the fact that they're poaching. Uh, but there's something about, um, I don't know, my own horizon of expectations and the, like the way that our minds complete the text, um, that it's just, it's, I don't, I'm having a hard time getting over that. (laughs) So I apologize to Tommy and all of the readers who love this novel. Oh, it's not that you dislike the novel. It's just no. there's one particular burr under your saddle about it. Yes, there's, uh, that's that's a really great way to put it. There's a burr under my saddle. But I did love – I really did enjoy reading this book. And I still um, – you know, when I think about it, I smile because yeah. it's great. And, like, I think having these kinds of issues and being able to think about them and articulate them, I, I – I, for me, it increases, like, the enjoyment of the text, kind sure. of, actually. Uh, like, to be completely satisfied at the end. Maybe that and that kind of story ends up being a more forgetful. And like, if I ever do return to think about it, I I don't have as many details. But because there's something about this, where I'm like, why is this one aspect of it rubbing me the wrong way? Mm-hmm. I dwell on it more, and it's definitely it's going to stay with me more than some other texts that maybe I I didn't have as much you know any issues with at all. Yeah, sure. Great. Well, have you got any final thoughts on this? Uh, like I said, for me, one of the best parts of this is 100% the prose. Roald Dahl has a gift for a turn of phrase, and it's present in the dialogue of Danny's dad particularly, but it's also just the whole uh-huh. the whole novel. is It's just very pleasant. Okay, well, uh, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us, and please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes and leave us a review there. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, just a note about our back catalog. We switched up our format uh, at episode 13, so our first dozen episodes are a bit meandering in terms of discussion and length. Uh, If you like this episode, you might enjoy checking out episode 81 on another classic children's book, Watership Down, or episode 65 on Ms. Marvel, a comic book about a kid finding uh, her place in the world. And links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's also where you can find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners, and we love for you to say hello anytime, especially new listeners. Just let us know. Uh who you are and that you're listening. We love that. Uh, If you would like to support the show financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. You can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by clicking the support link on our homepage, or you can go to patreon.com slash protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. And we just remind you that it looks exactly like regular Amazon. It costs you nothing more. 
but uh, we get a, a nice kickback from your purchase. And finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Uh, and listeners, if you would like to select a topic for us to discuss, you could become a patron by going to patreon.com slash protagonist podcast. No. Okay. Listeners, if you would like to suggest a book for us to discuss, you could become a patron by going to, uh, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> it's been is so long since is, I've had these. Is this how this is going to go tonight? <laughs> it's been so long since we've done this to producer Andrew. Ah, I'm struggling. Okay.